At Realmetrics, we collect and analyze a ton of slot data, and we're hit up frequently for insights, tips, and tricks. So we decided to do a podcast in which we present, discuss, and otherwise nerd out on our work. Coming to you from our offices in lovely Leiden, the Netherlands, welcome to Realcast. Good morning, Don. So we are uh, post Christmas officially now. Did you did you have a good one there in Illinois? I did. How about you? Uh well, uh, regrettably, after um, you know having managed to evade COVID for the better part of uh, four years, it finally caught me. Uh, went down uh, last Wednesday, and today is my first uh, full afternoon out of bed. So it was a, a, a very quiet Christmas featuring a lot of sleep. <laughs> and, uh, oh, as as we discussed yesterday, I think I'll be taking a bit of a, a back seat on this episode as my my lungs and my pipes remain plenty torched. Uh, did you did you guys get any uh, did you get any snow there in the Midwest this year? No, not even close. Um, Christmas Eve night. When I left my daughter's, it was 63 degrees at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. Yeah, these are not normal winter temperatures for your neck of the woods. It was actually warmer on Christmas than it was on Halloween. Wow. (laughs) That's okay. Interesting stat. Okay, very good. All right, but uh, hopefully you did get some downtime, managed to jam yourself full of all kinds of great food and all that kind of stuff. I did. It's always nice to eat around the holidays. The food's always good. And it's always good to see the family and share some smiles and some love. So yeah, yeah it's always a good time of year. Agreed. Agreed. And thanks for the Christmas card, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I had some reports that those were coming in very late, so I'm glad to hear you got yours. <laughs> yep, got ours. Thank you. Right. Good, good, good. Okay, so listener questions. Uh, we have two of them this month. Uh, before I dive in, uh, let me say that we we love to tackle any questions that anybody listening may have. If you have a question about what we're presenting or something you'd like us to present, please drop us an email at realcast at realmetrics.com. Again, that's R-E-E-L-C-A-S-T at realmetrics.com. Our policy is to keep all questions anonymous, so please speak directly and don't worry about us revealing your identity. That is not something we do. Okay, so the first comes from a general manager in the Midwestern U.S., and it's a great question. So um, <clears throat> rather than reading it uh, verbatim, though, I'll, ju- I'll just sort of paraphrase it. So he's a relatively new GM, and he has a major issue with low ceilings. And as the heights of cabinets have grown you know, ever skyward, uh, the problem has uh, become so acute that he's actually been granted budget to raise the ceilings <laughs> venue-wide. So talk about a construction project. Wow. Um, now, as as one might imagine, this is pretty complicated. So first, there, there are a ton of considerations regarding, you know, what's already in those ceilings. You have sprinklers and other life safety equipment, hundreds of uh, surveillance cameras, networking equipment, cabling, all your ventilation ducts, etc. So uh, in, in fact, there's so much going on in there that he's really struggling to get uh, contractors on board with with his vision. So now he's wondering, you know, what what should he do? Should he dial the whole vision back or should he first focus on some preliminary mitigations and see how those go? Uh, just generally, he's, he's looking for uh, some ideas. So Don, as a guy who struggled with this very topic on a daily basis for many years on end, 
I think you're pretty much perfectly situated to tackle this one. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a pain point. I'm having flashbacks now. Um, yeah, I spent nearly 30 years on a multi-floor riverboat casino. It had very low ceilings. Uh, I could reach up and touch a couple of them. I'm not that super tall, but wow, I completely understand the pro- the problem. I only had a couple areas where I could place anything like a double arc or a helix tower. So you end up being very careful on how you select your games, sign packages, slot toppers, all that type of stuff. It boils down, you probably have three options that I can think of. I did all three of them to get the taller machines on the floor. Uh, The first was to take over any area that had taller ceilings that wasn't already part of your slot floor. Uh, We had a casino host area um, that had really tall ceilings. So I relocated the casino host area to another spot on the floor and use that for slot machines. Sure. That makes sense. Right. Uh, there was another place that was a deli, another guest services area. So, you know, look on your, take that walk on your floor, scout it and see if there's some opportunities to relocate things. That's probably the first cheaper option. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was look for areas that had drop ceilings or easily removed low hanging decorations. Mm-hmm. I was able to raise the ceiling by a couple feet by getting rid of some drop ceilings in the center section of one of my decks. And the only reason I didn't get the whole thing was because of the ductwork. Yeah. So once the ductwork got in my way, I wasn't going to mess with that, but I, I was able to increase the height on about 50% of that floor just by okay. doing that. Yeah. And then the third way is to do what you're doing now is raise the space it is a challenge. There's a, like you said, Nick, there's a lot of electrical surveillance, lighting, duct work. There's all sorts of stuff up there. Mm-hmm. Um, surveillance probably shouldn't be an issue for you because the surveillance people are usually really good about finding areas where they can put their cameras and, and all that type of stuff. But it is um, a lot of time, a lot of research, a lot of different vendors. Um Relocating the ductwork was something I found quite challenging, so I didn't do that. So there were areas where I gutted everything but the ductwork, painted the duct black, and just installed lighting underneath it. Um, And that gave us um, more ceiling height. Kind of gives you a little bit of a warehouse look. Um, If you're not um, bothered by that, that's another way to go. So that way I was able to create some more space also. Of course, the key is how much CapEx you have and is it really worth the time and the effort and the floor disruption to remodel. Um, Low ceilings are not a problem that's easily overcome. So I tended to um, flex my muscles a little bit and take over those areas where I could do it. And that usually ended up being the best choice. Well, luckily, it seems to be a, an architectural trend that's really gone away <laughs> because I, I noticed there was always that. And and the other thing is you saw with so many new openings is they'd always do these really ornate ceilings around the, the table pits, you know. And then, you know, as that stuff started moving around, suddenly you have a slot floor standing underneath this ornate ceiling for, <laughs> for a table pit. So a lot of these things have, have really changed. But my, mercy sakes, you know, some of these uh, indeed – you have this right, where you just can't, a lot of the new stuff coming out, you simply cannot stick that stuff in there. No, you can't. And it, over the last 15 years or so, 
I think I've said this on a previous podcast. We had a meeting once before a G2E and they asked me what I was looking for. And I said, any machine under six foot tall. Yep. And, you know, sight lines on the casino floor, signage and everything else used to try to put all that big stuff against the walls around pillars. Now everything's large. And yep. I, I, I feel bad for all the slot VPs and directors out there trying to keep their sight lines decent because it is quite the challenge right now. Yeah, and we don't see any any uh, indication that that trend is going to be changing anytime soon in terms of the you know the form factors and the and the sizes. No, they get taller, they get wider every year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, great. Well, uh, thanks again uh, to that listener for that uh, question. Very interesting uh, uh, question. Very interesting uh, challenge there. So, so thanks again. Um, okay, and then our second question comes from an operator in California who asks, "Hey guys, love the podcast." Would you be up for doing another top insights of the year uh, episode to wrap up 2023? So the simple answer there is yes. Uh, we've uh, compiled the list and and done. I think as we we discussed, uh, perhaps I'll just kind of kind of introduce them one by one, and you can provide the commentary here today while I rest my uh, uh, scorched out lungs. Here. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So, uh, okay, so here we have 20, uh, 2023 top 10 uh, insights. So number one, uh, and we're not doing the, the we, we haven't sorted these for dramatic effect or anything. We're just running through them this year. So number one, um, increasing player revenue is not always about increased reinvestment. It's about giving players the experiences they want. So Don, you want to jump into that one? We now have run experiments for, 18 months on casino floors and mm-hmm. we've seen the best results by increasing the player experience by giving the customers what games they want to play in more volume. And it has really been eye-opening. Yeah. The, the results that we've come up with and we've seen have just been, they've been remarkable. They've been above what we expected. And it's all about getting the customers to come back to your casino and not to share their wallet with somebody else. And it's not about uh, larger offers in their mailbox or more giveaways. It was about giving them something that they enjoy playing and they come back. And the numbers have just been astounding. Yeah, and there's been a lot of interesting, I, I think, thought that's that's been out there uh, this year about some of the things that we're doing other than serving up product that people really want. So what are we doing with some things like, you know, we talk about real-time marketing promotions and and uh, and free play programs and all this kind of stuff. I think Noah Akers wrote a really interesting uh, white paper this year about the amount of free play that's just squandered and it's not – not really uh, uh, getting the the type of impact that that operators want, and and I think what what we really saw that's just been so exciting is how much behavior you can alter, and how uh, and the magnitude at which you can alter that behavior simply through inventory composition alone. That that has just been such an incredible thing to see. I I, I have to say that throughout my career, that's it's one of the most impressive effects I've seen in, in uh, altering uh, uh, inventory. Yeah. It's, it's really been remarkable to see. And it, it's been with small changes too. It's, it yeah. wasn't massive where they had to spend millions of dollars of CapEx or really increase their lease budget. It was with small, you know, a couple dozen machines that we were able yeah. to change. And we targeted the customers that your high worth customer, your high worth customers, the ones that weren't able to play to their worth. And it's yep. really made a difference on these floors. 
without question. Okay, uh, so on to number two. Um, the shift to lease games among host-level players continues to accelerate. Uh, we've moved uh, from penetration of uh, 50% of the best players to over uh, 75 uh, over the last couple of years. So you want to take that one, Doc? Yeah, it's this is something we just came up with in the last quarter or so, just tracking the host-level players, trying to see what has changed on their play patterns. And you see more and more high-level players switching to high-average bet lease games. Mm -hmm. I remember years back when Lightning Link first came out, and we started seeing some of our physical, real host-level players mm -hmm. switch over to video. Yeah. And now with some of the great lease games that are out there, you're seeing that trend more and more. They're playing up. And uh, like the stat says, we've seen a, a penetration rate jump from 50% to 75% over the last two years. So now three quarters of your hostable players are pounding lease games. Incredible. And it's not the wheel of fortune dollars and $5 anymore. They're mm -hmm. pounding Dragon Link. They're yeah. pounding Prosperity Link. They're pounding uh, Frankenstein, some of the other games that are out there. They are just hitting these with four and five dollar average bets. Yeah, and it's it's really moving the needle. Yeah, and that that plays in uh, uh, seamlessly into the to the third insight here, which is that we see these host level players uh, playing a lot more per trip. Um, but not necessarily uh, playing longer sessions or more sessions. And really what's going on, those average bets are going way up, right? Yeah, they are. We're seeing a lot of casinos where the average bet for your host level players um, have gone from $3, $3.5 per spin to 4 and 4 and a half. Some have even pushed $5 a spin. So if you're seeing a dollar average bet increase, you're getting about $50 more in theoretical per hour, assuming about a 10% hold and eight and a half spins per minute. Yep. So these customers are now on a three-hour trip, bringing another $150 to your bottom line just because of the increased average bet. And you, yep. you didn't do anything else except for give them something better to play. Right. So it really pays for a lease game pretty quick if you've got one lease player a day that drops another 150 bucks. Yeah. So it doesn't take very often, and that's just in three hours of play. And you know your high-octane lease games are should have a density over 50%. Right. And a lot of them were over 75%. So you can do the math, 12 hours of play time at 50 bucks an hour. Uh, that really pays for your lease games. Oh, yes. Indeed, indeed. Okay, and on uh, again, uh, uh, connected to that, uh, number four, um, the experiments that we've uh, run with inventory composition, uh, those all continue to turn in very stellar numbers and, and uh, incredible. We were, I, I saw it down in your notes. Uh, we're showing an increase of spend between 250 and 400 per month uh, per player in Theo revenue uh, for players who jump on the, the target games that we're recommending, right? Yeah, it, it was really neat. I ran a, um, a study running players who played on the games that we recommended versus players who that still wasn't their cup of tea and the revenue per month that these two groups were generating was almost equal with within like two dollars yeah um, back before we started the experiments and then after we put the games on the line started to 
diverge. Oh, that was a hell of a graph. I remember this graph you showed us, how how those two just started splitting apart, right? And they did, and they just kept splitting, and the the gap kept getting wider and wider and wider every month. So it went from $10 to $50 to $100 to $200 to $300 to $400. And it just, it's making this big V if if you look at it, and it's not stopping. Yeah, it's, just, um, it's continuing to grow, um, and we haven't touched these games now in eighteen months. Yeah, so there's been no additional cost. It's just been organic, and it's happening with not only the host level players. It's also happening with that hundred and fifty to three hundred dollar ADT player. Yeah, we're starting to see a split there. It's not as dramatic, of course, because they don't have the wallets that the host level players do, but it is sizable. It's hundred dollars a month. Yep. More per player, and you know how many 150 to 300 dollar ADT players are in the database. There's a lot of them. Yeah, and anybody who just feels that you know they're really tapped out with their you know with their top players and all that, I always just point them to that type of graph and say, look, you know, you mix this up a little bit and you really pay attention to what these folks like and start catering to that, you're going to see the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Great. Um, Okay, so then uh, number five, uh, on floors where the mix between leased and owned uh, product is static, we're seeing a 6% decline in play on the core games and a 14% increase in lease games. It's almost at every casino we look at. The There's some really good owned games out there, but the trend is towards lease game play. Definitely. Even for companies and um, casinos that have static lease games, the customers are jumping over to lease games. And it's probably for a couple reasons. One is the price of the cabinets is so much higher that people are buying less of them. Yep. And you can r- rotate those lease games out. It's kind of one of the blocking and tackling 101s that we always talk about, how to keep the floor fresh. Absolutely. But uh, there's there was some really neat stuff released last year, but... The overall trend is at most casinos I saw was between a 3% and 8% decline in own game play when per unit. But the lease games are up 10%, 15%, 20%. The blended average is 14%. And it was every month last year. It was yeah. really interesting to see. It's something I really haven't looked at a whole lot. But when I was looking at some of the, the play patterns for the host level players, I was tr- I was seeing the split, and they're playing more. Their average bets are insane on lease games versus core games, and it, it's really driving that revenue. But it was across the board. Um, you don't see so much on that C-level player that under $100 theoretical, especially on the new lease games. Their average bet is for those games is just too tall for those players. Sure. But for the B-level players and A-level players, you're definitely seeing a split that they're playing lease games more and more. Yeah. And Don, does it just feel to you that, you know, in terms of, of using the, or, you know, going through, I know you've been working with a lot of customers on, on capital budgets and whatnot. Is that just becoming an increasingly complicated exercise as, as you go through, go through them? Uh, yes and no. It's um, the, the easy part is since the cost has gotten more per cabinet, they're buying less. So yeah. it's a lot easier to say here, Here's the 30 machines you should buy. Sure, you're um, just buying fewer cabinets. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just made it easy. So, um, and, and we'll get into some of it a little bit later in one of them about um, some of 
what really worked in 2023. But um, it, so it's a mix. It, some of it's really hard um, to come up with, but the, the, the very t- cream of the crop, if you're buying less than 50 machines, um, you should be in pretty good shape. Well, I know, I know for sure you said that it's, it's, uh, getting a hell of a lot, uh, trickier to keep all the vendors happy, right? So being able to, to handle it out to, you know, everybody on the list and you feel kind of guilty for it and, you know, all that. (laughs) I just had this very same conversation last night. Um, I've got a really good friend who's a salesperson and I'd love to give him more games. And in my heart, I can't because I'm serving the client in the client's best interest. And I just can't recommend their games at a great volume because they're doing well, but they just don't have a very deep library. Yeah. So you can't put a hundred of these games on the floor. And, um, you know, there's some, you just can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have to, you know, do the best we can for our clients. And it makes it really tough. There's some really good the smaller vendors out there, they're doing really well, but you just can't buy them in quantity. Yeah. You know, it's banks of one and two and three at the most. So, yeah. And I think this is what we've really been, you know, uh, uh, struggling with. And, you know, conceptually is that when we're really looking at how hyper-concentrated all this productivity is, both in players and in products, I mean, there's a very finite set of preferences that you're going after at the end of the day. And only, uh, you know, and then uh, as as uh, you would expect, a, a finite uh, group of the product that that's catering to those uh, preferences. So yep. it is indeed difficult. It is. Okay. Uh, let's see. Number six then. So, uh, whoops, this is a bit of a longer run. So the shift uh, post-COVID toward high-end players generating the bulk of revenue continues to climb, as we were just discussing. <laughs> okay. Right. So uh, yeah. 5%. 5% of players generating 50% of your revenue and the bottom 80% uh, generating around 15% of your right. revenue. So you can basically promote uh, to 17% of your player base as they generate 87% of your revenue. Uh, the core is really 10%. If you leave off the 7% of the player base uh, that are infrequent players. So I, yeah. I get what you're going here again, productivity concentration. So, yeah, it's, you know, with the, the key numbers, there are, Basically, 17% of your players are generating 87% of your revenue. Yeah. And I think a lot of casino companies saw that post-COVID to where they stopped marketing to those under $75 theoretical players yep. um, because they were still coming in. Yeah. Uh, and the growth rate on those players is actually still going up. I was kind of surprised that the a lot of those players are spending more money than they did a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a ton. They're they're up maybe fifteen um, percent or so, ten percent in a lot of cases. But the bulk of your revenue is coming from that top five percent, ten percent of your customers, and those are the ones that you really need to be thinking about when you're buying slot machines. Yeah. For two reasons: one, they're the most valuable, and two, your low theoretical players won't play anything that you buy new anyway. They yeah, play yeah. the classics. They have their favorite games. They will not try your new stuff. They may try it, but they don't go back to it. One is higher average bet. Two, the volatility in some of these games is a lot higher than they wish. But they like their their games that they've been playing for years. Yep. So, but your your high level customers, your wholesale customers, love the new games. Yeah. They love the Buffalo Ascension. 
They love the Huffin' More Puff. They love Devil's Lock. All that type of stuff, they are just can't get enough of. So when you're picking those games, pick the games for your host-level customers. Look at those average bets. Uh, Look at the cost to cover. All those types of things should be factors on your 2024 purchases. Yep. And as we we went we go back to one of the the listeners who wrote in, I guess we'd update our things there, and they'd say if seventeen percent of the uh, players are generating eighty seven percent of the revenue, you spend eighty seven percent of your budget on seventeen percent of the players, right? Yep, exactly. Yep. And you can make a case that you should spend all of it. Yeah, you should yeah, spend yeah. all of your budget on your host level players or your players that have an ADT above three hundred dollars, um, because the under 150s, under 100s are going to play the stuff that you already have on the floor. Yeah. It's just that simple. Okay. All right. Next one up, a pretty straightforward one. Smaller banks and single theme banks continue to outperform larger banks, uh, six or more more machines, uh, three or more themes. So you want to nail this one, Don? Yeah, that's, it's a continuation. We, We updated that study and I don't even know why we did this study in the first place. It was just something that popped out. But we looked at all the single theme banks, um, trying to get the bank sizes smaller, and then looking at them, and we've had really good success, especially with the smaller vendors. Um, I was talking to one last week, and that's what they're doing. Banks of four, um, banks of triangles of three, single themes, and they're – Win per unit and their average against house has just exploded. Yeah. Because yeah. it is just basically putting the cream of the crop on in quantity, which is something we've been preaching now for years, is making sure you have the best games and have a lot of them out there because those are the ones that people like. And yeah. And that was a, I think it, I actually, Don, I think that study came from, I think it was from a smaller vendor that that's where that started when they were asking us what they should be putting out. Like, and we had said, yeah, okay. You know, this idea of doing a six pack with two themes, one is a really solid theme. It's doing well. The other one is eh, just kind of, you know, we say stop this, right? What you want to do is you put it out there, a single theme, really get that thing punching and perform really well. And then, you know, expand basically from there. And at least those that, uh, you know, I know several of them who who listened to us and did that and they're, they're liking it, (laughs) you know, they're they're seeing it's working out that way. Just c- cutting the title count a bit and, and just focusing on really delivering performance on a, on a bank. It's, it's tough for a smaller vendor to sell machines when you have games that are doing below house average on those yeah. banks. You yep. have to fix those first. Well, what happens when you don't have anything to fix? Yeah. Now you've got the confidence in the casino and the casino can say, okay, these games are still doing one and a half times house average. Let's get more. Yeah. And and it wasn't just the smaller ones because I remember doing this study and I started with, I did them in alphabetical order by vendor and I got to the aristocrat games and the same thing was happening with aristocrat. Um, this is before the Neptune singles came out mm-hmm. and I was looking at like some of the Mars X product and I was looking at single theme banks at certain casinos and uh, the win per unit on those single theme banks really outperformed the ones with multiple themes. And those were really good. I mean, these were all doing over one and a half times house average. Yeah. But there was yeah. still a difference in single theme banks and um, it, it remains to, to this day. Yeah. And if it, if it's hitting, there's a reason that it's hitting. And then your challenge becomes 
provide sufficient capacity, right? And and that seems to be a, a way more important focus than you know getting another title out there and trying to build another title. So absolutely. All right, cool. So uh, let's see, number eight. So this is an interesting one. There is a release date split on performance for owned games and leased games. Most of the best leased games have been out for two plus years and very few of the best uh, owned games have been out for two or more years. Uh, outside of some of the greater risk rat titles, all the owned games uh, that are over 1.5x house have a release date within the past two years. Uh, only a couple of themes released in 2023 crack the top 25 themes in least based uh, or in least uh, uh, game performance. Yeah, I was um, a little surprised on that because there's been so many good games released. But when I started looking at it by date range, everything in the top 25 outside of stuff like Buffalo Gold Collection mm-hmm. on the own games was all brand new releases. Okay. Which kind of tells you something, right? That yep. you've got, um, they've got a year, two years to stay in the top and then yep. they get replaced by something else. On the other hand, the really good lease games have a really long life. Yep. I know the manufacturers love that. They can put it on their floor and forget about it and take their 50, 60 bucks a day. But those lease games that have been out for years still have legs. Yep. And, the, the line on them is just flat. If they were doing three and a half times house average three years ago, they're still doing three and a half times house average. And we talked about it before about the natural decay in own game themes where they mm-hmm. fall off 10% per year. And we're continuing to see that there's some really good games out there, but you really should expect a 10% decline in them year after year. Yeah. Yeah, it seems it's it. It does feel to me as though it's getting a little bit harder to justify those uh, core purchases. But I dare not say that with any degree of uh, uh, <laughs> definition. Because, <laughs> uh, but it, but it is uh, uh, indeed the case. We're just seeing that huge performance gap, and it and it just kind of sits there and stays put. But okay, mm-hmm. so number nine. Um, let's see. Uh, of the non. Uh, big four manufacturers, there were, or non three, uh, sorry, big, big four manufacturers. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> I say this correctly. Of the not, of the non big three manufacturers, there were some solid themes uh, released in 2023. Zitro, Blueberry, um, Konami, AGS, Ruse, Every all have games generating, uh, well over a 1.5x house. Um, looking at these manufacturers for small bank purchases could produce some nice results. Uh, Single-thing banks, uh, multi-denom, if you can as well, in packs of four should produce and uh, ease some of the long-term purchase anxiety. Yeah, we still hear casinos say, I really don't want to spend all my money on one manufacturer or two manufacturers. If you've got the CapEx, you can definitely buy from most, if not all of these in small banks, and they'll produce for you. Um, yeah. Go with that single theme, use their best product. And all of these companies have games that are doing really well. Uh, and almost all of them also have a decent library coming out in 2024. Mm-hmm. So they've got some momentum. They're selling some boxes. Um, thankfully, you, some of these companies that have been in some slumps for a while have starting to come out of it. Uh, competition's really good for casinos with both pricing and it gives you some options that you don't have to worry about spending 
all your money on one vendor. So things actually started turning around in 2023 for some of these companies where I was getting really worried that between consolidation and bankruptcies and everything else that um, we'd have less and less choices for the casinos. But um, I think it finally turned around in 2023. Yep. Okay, cool. And then this brings us to number 10, Don. So there is a difference in play metrics between the 45 and under 45-year-old players. Um, Let's see, a Brian Christopher effect or parlay effect or just willing to take more risk. The under 45 players are chasing progressives, bonus rounds with larger average bets and uh, shorter session times. Um, They'll pool their play and shoot for the W2Gs. They also play a lot more slots than people think. 80% 80% of the Theo from females uh, under 45 is on slots. 60% of the Theo of men under 45 is on slots. So I know, Don, I, I uh, was was uh, uh, there when you came out with a lot of these um, uh, metrics on the, on the younger folks. And I think you were saying that as, was it the under 30s or something that were spending most of their wallet just chasing those jackpots on high-end premium was that the i have the stat right there yeah it was it was okay. um, a lot They're of, higher than any other age bracket as i recall the younger the younger the demographics the more they spend on premium games which was totally wild i, I just didn't yeah. expect that um it, it, so I, I actually ran it by every age group and of course um, the over 75 age group played the least on uh these games but now, John, are these in absolute terms? Are you saying that for their group, they spend more? I, 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 how? Yeah, the, okay, so as I, a percentage of their wallet. Of wallet, okay. More money on lease games than any other age group, any other age bracket. Mm-hmm. So the under 45s spend the most money on lease games than anybody else as far as percentage of their wallet. And they're playing higher average bets. They have lower session times. They are... It, it all started with what games do you put outside your sports book mm-hmm. with the sports books drawing a little bit younger demographic. Uh, people were struggling. What, what do I put outside the sports book? So we started looking at it. What are they playing? And it was kind of surprising. And we talked to a couple different chief marketing officers out there that verified our findings that um, people are playing more, under 45s are playing more slot machines than they expected because a lot of them put table games outside of the sports book. Yeah, ETGs as well, right? That was a big trend, yeah. And the percentage of play on ETGs and video poker by under 45 is extremely small. I seem to recall it was like 7% of wallet combined. Combined, exactly. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, it was was basically 4% and 3%. So there, and and then the percentage of, physical slots that they play is really small. There are a couple of exceptions. There's a couple of themes that they like, but it fits perfectly with these gambler style games. It's stuff like top dollar where it was that they're playing. That's their favorite physical reel, but it was both owned and leased games that had high volatility. They're shooting for those bonus rounds with high average bets trying to get that $1,000 win or $600 win or that W2G win. A lot of people pooling. Um, 
seeing it a lot more and more. Matter of fact, I saw a group of men that were probably in their 60s and 70s that pooled their money to try to chase a jackpot. But um, like I said, I call that the Brian Christopher effect. It was you're seeing a lot of people pool money, um, chasing it, and you're really seeing it for the under 45. So for those of you that are looking for ideas outside of your sports book, Dragon Link, Ultimate Fire Link, uh, Locket Link, uh, the Lightning Link games, anything that has a really good progressive, uh, if you can do it, swing a Dragon Cash on your floor outside of the sports book, those games work really, really well with the under yeah. 45 crowd. Um, and I've told you this before, Nick, that it's one of my favorite games to play, and it's always infuriating because I walk in and there's a, I know I, I've got no shot of getting on those games because there's a group of six guys. <laughs> it's but, always um, young men blacking you. <laughs> it is. It's driving me crazy. It's always a group of six young guys, and they've all got $100 bills in their hand ready to, to feed the bill validator. And, and um, But um, it's, it's really something to look at. Just don't assume that they're under 45, they're going to play table games because it's just not true. Um, yeah, and it's. I, I have to say there's just so much – counterintuitive playing i mean the the average bet thing was the really shocking one for me to see that and then, and then you look at this just because that that age demographic historically has just not really been much on a casino floor right you know it's just the lack of disposable time lack of disposable income right. and you see these changes and yeah i think you're right to to really point to the to the influencers uh and mm-hmm. and look at what those you know the information those guys are pumping out because it is really all about Showing up with an adequate bankroll, betting, you know, aggressively and making sure you're covering lines and, and, you know, all these things that like, well, well, certainly Brian uh, and his team uh, really, really encourage all that with their, with their uh, fans and stuff. And, and I, I think it has to be having an effect. Yeah. And I, I think some of this is coming from, you see a lot of young men that play live poker yeah. and some of those guys are really good at things like bankroll management. Yeah. They know what type of bankroll they need to avoid the risk of ruin. Yep. yep. They're disciplined and they're focused. And yep. Exactly. And, and even even though they're, they know that they're playing a 10% hold game, um, and there's a lot of live poker players that won't go near a slot machine. That's I'm not assuming that. But there, there are people who play both. Uh, they'll play table games. They'll play live poker. But the sports book has really... Uh, opened up the casinos to that under 45 crowd. I see it when I go, you know, I, I enjoy the sports books myself and you, you see it, you see them walk from the sports book, either to the bar or to the slot machines. And they, they play the same way every time. It's really yeah. interesting to see it. I think a lot of it is that parlay effect. Yeah. Instead of betting that one game straight and putting your money on it, they're betting uh 16 parlay and trying to get that thousand dollar hit or two thousand dollar hit and it's the same philosophy on the slot machines they'd yeah. rather sit there for five minutes and pound away than sit there for an hour and use the drop method yeah 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 well in any event it's been really cool watching this this next generation kind of developing and and seeing this it's the first time i'm watching this uh you know occur and it's, it is pretty cool we see some interesting trends there and yeah uh, those those behaviors are fascinating without a doubt yeah, it is. And it looks like it's 
continues to spread with the introduction of sports books across the, the states. And that's going to be something that we're watching. And the other point on that too is there's really a difference between the under 30 and the 30 to 45. The under 30 theoreticals are really tiny. Yeah. Um, but the 31 to 45 group is definitely worth looking at yeah. because they have some money, right? They don't have those starter jobs. Um, and, and some time. <laughs> yeah, they've got time, right? And they're, they're willing to go out on the weekends and they're not afraid of the drink prices and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And they're willing to spend some money. So that 31 to 45 group is definitely worth looking at. Yep. Yep. Great. Okie doke, Don. Well, I think it's uh, we're a little shorter than our than our average uh, session, our, our average uh, episode length at about uh, forty minutes today. Uh, but I think we we got through some good stuff. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to to touch upon before we wrap it today, Don? No, that's it. Hope everyone has a happy New Year, a great two thousand and twenty four, and stays healthy and happy. Yes. And I'd like to echo that same sentiment. So uh, yeah, happy holidays to everybody. Here's wishing everybody uh, a, a happy, healthy and prosperous uh, uh, 24. And uh, I guess that's it for the two of us uh, for 2023, Don. So we'll be uh, back all uh, reloaded with energy and ready to roll in, in January. <laughs> Sounds good. We have a good episode to start the, start the year. We won't, uh, won't, uh, 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 give any hints yet? It. It'll be a good one. Yeah, it'll be. A good yeah, one. that'll be. A good... <laughs> you just I got the invite. Sorts... You just got the invite yesterday. Okay, <laughs> I did. So yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be an interesting conversation. Indeed, indeed. That's okay, it. cool. Well, Don, you have yourself a, a, a lovely balance of your day there, and we'll we'll talk soon. You take care, Nick. You do the same. Thanks, Don. Bye bye. Oh.